0: welcome, 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 welcome. We are in the middle of a, uh, if, if it's your first time here with us, we're in the middle of a sermon series, a long one. It's been really long. We kind of gambled. I gambled on this because I thought, how long can I keep everyone's attention going through the entire book of Acts and going through it at a nice slow pace? Uh, and so far, I think everyone's kind of been sticking with it. So that's been good. Uh, we're kind of in the middle. So we're we're getting over the hump and and we'll end it here uh, towards the end of, uh, of fall. But Here now we are in uh, Acts chapter 15, kind of in a part two of what we heard from last week, and I'll explain that in just a second. But before I do that, I just want to kind of get us started off and get us thinking. So, VBS. How fun is VBS? How great is it to see the children and all that? VBS is very important to me and to my walk in faith. I would say that I came to the Lord in terms of I made that profession of faith out of VBS when I was uh, in third grade, and it was really a concert of things. You've heard this story before if you've been here before, and if you haven't, I can explain it later, but it was a concert of things. It was neighbors who who just took pity on the heathen family in the neighborhood and invited myself and my sisters over to do vacation Bible school at their homes And then they would invite us to the actual one that they did at their church. And that's where I I, I responded. But also the effectual prayers of my grandparents who were believers and they prayed us through, they gave me my first Bible. You know, it was a concert of things that was happening. But as a third grader, you know, you make that profession of faith and I I believe that, you know, it counts, it sticks. But Jesus becoming Lord of your life is a different thing altogether. And sometimes that kind of happens with, age and wisdom and experience and falling down and getting back up again and and I fell down many a times. But as I as I got older in in college is when I really when Jesus, as we say at this church, became more than a name, Lord of my life as as much as I would allow him to. uh, Lord of my life and and that was because of just the Spirit grabbing hold of my heart in different ways. One of the ways that the Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart in that season was to lead me to not only a deeper study of Scripture, but also what other folks, prominent Christian writers were writing about at Scripture that helped me kind of understand. There's nothing wrong with that. If you find good authors with sound theology, they help you understand what's in Scripture because sometimes Scripture is a bit confusing. Uh, And so some of the famous writers that I just fell in love with was Max uh, Lucado or Lucado, does anyone know who that is? Max, right? Tomato, tomato, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, I say it differently every time. Uh, uh, Rick Warren, anyone know Rick Warren, right? Rick Warren's in hot water right now. He led his church into uh, egalitarian ministry, which was uh, the, basically the ordination of, of female pastors, which is a hot topic and something that we believe in as a church. Uh, and then, of course, Saddleback has been kicked out of the Southern Baptist Conference because of that. Uh, and poor Rick actually is suffering from an autoimmune disease that he just discovered right out of retirement, which is actually very sad that he's struggling with that. But Rick wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Anyone know that? Anyone heard of it? Purpose Driven Life. Anyone read it? Read it? Good. Yeah. The Purpose Driven Life, it just smacked me right in the face. One, it's, it's an easy read, but profound truths. That's, that's Rick's talent. He can, he can put things together that you, would, a kind of a, that you would have a hard time explaining, but he does it with such great ease, and it really takes a hold of your heart. Jenny, your cello's in the way. I can't walk around. But Rick Warren, so he, he writes The Purpose Driven Life, and it was a book, to help unbelievers and believers too, but really un- get unleashed, uh, unchained, find the freedom in salvation and the God who's been chasing after you, and to experience that love of Jesus Christ, and to find that purpose, that how that brings about a definite purpose in your life uh, for the gospel. And he opens it up, chapter one, with this phrase. Does anyone know what it is before they flash it up? Does anyone remember? Good job, Pat Payne. It's not about you. And when I read those first, what is it, four or five words? Four words? Or five if you count the contraction. Uh, when I look at that, <laughs> it's five technically. When I looked at that, it was really convicting. Because I've always, you know, God so loves me, right? For God so loves the world, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, have eternal life, Right? It's a me thing. God loves me. And that's true. You are so loved. You are beloved by Christ. Absolutely true. But that is not the foundational purpose for God sending his son to redeem the world. And that was something that, if you can get that in perspective, everything else kind of falls in line here because it truly opens your mind up to the sovereignty of God, the love of God, and to what great lengths he will go to to chase after sinners like you and me who deserve the separation but to chase after us and bring us back together he's doing it one so that we may be redeemed and experience a freedom yes but so that the world knows that he is the one true creator god See, the world must know that. He is, that When he saves wretched people like us and saves the lost, he brings about this good news to the world that this Lord who created everything can redeem anyone and everything from anything that they are in. So that we are turned on to, to who he is and knowing who he is and worshiping him as the true redeemer providing God. It's all built on a foundation of love. Yes, we are loved. Yes, he has sent his son. Yes, we were the lost. If you know the parables, we are the one sheep out of the 99 that he has found. We are the coin that the, old, that the lady couldn't find and she rips up the house looking for it. And we're the lost son who comes back to the father and he chases after, after him. That's us. We were once lost, now found in him. And then having been found, please listen, and be recipients of that great love. This is the purpose. We're called to live out that love, to live it out in the in the same way as Jesus loved us, to be sent ones into the lost world to ensure that the same love of others may be found in Jesus Christ. Do you get that? You were loved to be redeemed and loved to be sent. You're not loved to be redeemed and sit here. You're not loved to be redeemed and take the light and just hold it on your own. In fact, the VBS kids, they sang this little light of mine all week long. What are you going to do? I'm going to let it? Right, exactly. It's, it's all in the song. It's right there. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples before he sends them out, you know, Jesus sends the disciples out before he, he pieces out and goes to heaven. He's like, you all got it. You're going to be good. And he reminds them and says, love each other in the way that I have loved you. And this, the world will know that you are my disciples. That the way that we treat each other and the way that we love each other here empowers our witness out there. And if we rip each other apart in here or with other churches, the world watches and makes drastic conclusions about who God is and how relevant he is. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians, how many people have ever read 1 Corinthians 13? You have if you've been to a wedding. How many people have been to a wedding? where a puffy pastor preached up front and they probably recited 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is all the things, right? But before Paul gets into writing about what love is, please understand that he wrote this not to a married couple or people who are getting married. He wrote this to a community of believers. This is a passage about how we all are to interact with each other, and basically says, if you can't do it, this is what your witness is going to sound like. Chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Just picture that monkey with the cymbals, ching, ching, ching. That's what we look like. That's what we sound like. He's saying you could have all the gifts, everything that Jesus could bestow upon you, everything, and know all of the eternal truths about salvation and Jesus being the Messiah, everything. But if you don't love one another, if you don't have that heart for one another the way Jesus had it for you, then your witness as a church is like that monkey with the symbols, just making noise. And the more that we as a, as, as a capital C church do that and rip each other apart over lots of things, Over biblical truths, and that requires debate, biblical truths. That requires us doing that. In fact, what we read last week in Acts 15 was the proper way that a church debates things like that, bringing the community together and talking about it and coming up with a solution, not having it play out in social media and the news. Now, they didn't have social media then, so I don't know if it would have been different. But in our world, when we rip each other apart, everyone watches. And we sound like the clanging cymbal. The the witness of the church fades into the noise of the world and it's not making a hill of beans a difference, right? How you love each other is what empowers your witness. So what does this mean here? And We're in Acts 15, why I'm talking about all this. In Acts 15, last week, we were reading about the Jerusalem council. And that meant that basically what happened was what had happened is that Paul and Barnabas, two of the greatest missionaries the church has ever seen, are in a church in Antioch, a big, big city. And notice that this always happens with in Acts, that, that the Lord sends and commissions uh, people to go into the urban centers, the big cities, because that's where you affect culture and it, and it permeates out. So they're in this big city, Antioch. It's like the Las Vegas of the, of the, of the coastline there. And they're doing their thing, and everything's going great. Gentiles, which means non-Jewish people, anyone that they're Greek, they could be any type of religion, any type of pagan, whatever. Gentiles are coming alive to the Holy Spirit by their preaching. They're seeing great signs and great wonders, and the church is growing and being strengthened. It's great. But then we saw last week some people. Some people came from Jerusalem trying to stir stuff up, and they try to sew in a false teaching that says to the Gentiles, hey, it's great that you believe in Jesus, yay for you, but in order to be in our club, in order to be here and for God to really love you, is you got to come under the law of Moses like we did. And you have to, if you're a dude, uh, get circumcised. And all the guy Gentiles were like, yeah, not for me, you know. And so that's kind of where they are, are at. And it's infiltrating into their company and so it created such a controversy that the church in Antioch said Paul Barnabas go back to Jerusalem find out the answer to this go ask the apostles go ask them all the original 12 go ask them the answer to this question because we got to figure this out because that's not what you told us and that's not what we're feeling and yet these people are trying to hold this over us and put an unfair burden on our shoulders And so they go back to Jerusalem, and it's the Jerusalem Council. They bring everyone together, the whole community, the apostles, the elders, everyone, and they talk about it. And they come up with a solution, and that's what we left with last week. And the solution was that, no, we're not going to put this burden on the Gentiles because we are free from this burden also. We're free from the burden of the law of Moses. Jesus fulfilled it. And now salvation is just belief and faith in him. That's what it is. And we're free from those things. And so they draft a letter Two, the Gentile church in Antioch and two other places too where the communities are blended, where there's Jewish Christians and, and Gentiles together. And they draft this letter. And in this letter, they encourage them and they give them four things that they want the Gentiles to try to uh, abstain from. And it's a little head-scratcher because you're thinking, are they wanting them to abstain from these four things because it's the law and what you're supposed to do? or abstain from these four things because their lives will be better if they abstain from these four things. What, what, which one is it? And the truth is somewhere in the middle here. And so now today we're at part two of that. We're at the falling action. They've met, they've drafted a letter, and now the letter has to get going and has to get sent out. And what we're going to see here today is that Luke recounts the result of the Jerusalem Council and how the letter was delivered to these Gentile Jewish Christian churches. And then he gives us another story right at the end that really runs parallel to the Jerusalem Council. We see two situations of conflict between the fellowship of believers. One ends in one way, the other ends in another way, and what we get out of this is a challenge and a warning for us today. And why I talked about Rick Warren and the purpose-driven life, it's not about you, is because that's running through the bottom of all of this. That everything that we're going to talk about today, just remember that it's not about my preferences. It's not about my comforts. It's not about my agenda. It's about the gospel advancing into the lives of other people and how I have been invited to be a part of that. Okay? Y'all with me? Y'all tracking? Ready to get a cage rattled? Ready to dive in? I'm ready to dive in. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 35. I'm going to raise up for you a challenge and a warning. The first is a challenge, and let's read here Acts 15, verses 22 through 35. So they've drafted the letter. The letter now has to be sent. If you've got Bibles, please open them up. You can get them from the back of the pew and open up to those pages and follow along. You can write in your own Bibles. Don't write in the church Bibles. If you do, we'll come find you. Okay, here we go. I'm just kidding. We won't. <clears throat> Verse 22. So, it seemed good. Circle that if you got your own Bibles. It seemed good to the apostles and the elders in the whole church to choose men from among them, and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They send Judas called Bars- Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. So they ask, they raise up two other people who are well respected. They're actually considered prophets. Uh, Judas and, and Silas here, and that's not Judas the bad Judas. Ju- that bad Judas is is gone. So this is uh, this is another Judas, and and they are kind of prophets. I understand as prophets. They they're sending these two to validate what Paul and Barnabas are saying. So great care and great importance is being placed on this message. So the letter reads as this: The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cecilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So I love this. They're like, we didn't send them. So sorry about that. But they're basically saying that, okay, there was a group of people who came into your midst and tried to sow some discord, but they didn't come from us. That message is not coming from us, the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church. So therefore discredit what they have to say. It has seemed good, circle that, seemed good, there's a repetition, to us, having come to one accord, we came into full agreement to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good. To the Holy Spirit, very important, and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So they're saying, we're not putting on the burden of the law of Moses. We're not putting that on to you anymore. We are only saying these things, and these things, as you see at the end of the letter, are for your good. What are the things that they are saying to them? That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from those, you will do well. Farewell. Wow. Short and sweet, right? How about that for a letter? So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced. The congregation rejoices because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time there, they were sent off in peace by the brothers back to Jerusalem, to those who sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now let's review the facts of of this whole thing. There was conflict there was blended communities. They were trying to, some people were trying to say to, to, the, to the Antioch churches and, and these these blended communities that you have to be a good Jew to be a Christian. The council convenes, they put this letter together, they say you're free from that burden, you're free from the law of Moses, but here are some things that we want you to abstain from. Now, those things that they want you to abstain from, are they sending that to the church to say to them, you have to follow this law? Or are they sending them to help build them up and encourage them? And obviously we have the answer because the four men, not only do they deliver the letter, but folks, look, they stayed. They remained. They taught. They teach. They encouraged just to make sure that these churches knew that this letter was not a, yoke to be put on them or anything, but this letter was an encouraging letter encouraging them to abstain from certain things for a purpose. And the purpose isn't really said here, but the purpose is, is implied. Why would they send this to the gen- these, these blended communities, these communities that had both Jewish Christians and Gentiles together? Look at what they tell them to abstain from. They tell them to abstain from things sacrificed to idols. They tell them to abstain from things with blood and things that have been strangled and from sexual immorality the first three here deal with jewish kosher practices now they're not saying that you're held to those kosher practices what they are saying is that the brothers in your community who are jewish christians and are witnessing you doing this stuff because real quick to the gentiles they were free to do it that's their culture They were free to sacrifice to idols. They were free to eat food that had been sacrificed to them because to them, the temple was also the butcher shop. They they would sacrifice animals and they would be like, this is a good animal, you might as well, you want it. You want some some sheep? Here you go. And and they would take it, right? And they would eat it, not thinking anything of it. But Jewish practices, they have a Levitical kind of practice here that says you don't eat anything sacrificed to idols because it's defiled. You don't eat an animal that still has its blood in it because that's dirty and there's cleanliness things that come with that. And uh, and you don't strangle an animal. An animal's killed in a a specific way. So they're telling this Gentile Jewish Christian church, they're saying to the Gentiles, for the betterment of your brothers so that you can have harmony with one another. Even though you're free to do that, don't. Just abstain from it. If you were to go into, back into 1 Corinthians, into chapter 8, Paul writes about this to the church in Corinth because it's a thing. So it's, this is another church, and this is another thing that's, that's popping up. Do we eat the animals that have been sacrificed to idols? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, listen, there's only one true God. And so if you eat an animal that's been sacrificed to, a, to an idol that's worshiping a, a fake God, or whoever that is, because it's not a real God. Whether you eat it or whether you not eat it, it doesn't make any difference. But what does make a difference, he says, if you have brothers in your midst and sisters, in you, I should say brothers and sisters. When I say brother, I'm talking about kind of fraternal, and that's including everybody, but just in case if I slip up. But brothers and sisters. If you have brothers and sisters in your midst who are of weak conscience, who can't handle you doing that, or see you doing that, and they they feel like they have the license to go back to their old ways and stumble, then Paul says, don't eat meat ever again. Just leave it alone. Because it's not about your comfort and your freedom of eating that meat, it's about are you causing someone to stumble? Are you causing division in the church? And so the apostles are sending this letter to the churches in Antioch, Sicilia, and, and Syria, and they're saying, hey, don't do that. Out of the, the the harmony and the peace of the fellowship together. Now the only thing that would be, be, be kind of law is the fourth one, which is sexual immorality. See, in the Gentile culture, if you go to an idol at a temple, sexual immorality and all the debauchery that comes with that is part of idol worship, it's just par, part of worship. To them, it's it's not a law thing, it's just common practice. And so they're saying and reminding them, please abstain from that. Jesus himself taught about that in the Sermon of the Mount of what's acceptable and what is not. And they're saying that that's old life, you got to put that away. And so they write this with great encouragement to say, here, this is how you can promote the unity with a diverse group of people. This is how you can stay united so that you don't just pull each other into these different battle zones over these things that God's providence is sitting over, anyways. And so it's very, just, you know, very, very interesting about that kind of thing. Now, The other thing I want you to notice is that they were encouraged by this letter. This letter's poking at Gentile practices, but here it's written by Luke that they were encouraged and they rejoiced about it. And why is that? For me, I think it's because the manner in which the letter was delivered, it was delivered with four people, two people to prove what all the other two people are saying, and then they remain there and they encourage them and they teach them and they made sure that they understood, right? But I think the other thing, and most importantly, because it says here, I told you, don't forget it, that that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit for us to lay no greater burden. The reason why this letter is encouraging and they rejoice is because God's hand's been upon it from the very beginning. You rewind back to the Jerusalem Council. How did the debate come to one accord? They remembered the actions of the Holy Spirit. When they are talking about how can Gentiles be saved, they recall the signs and wonders that Paul and Barnabas have been doing. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and says, I've been chosen by the Holy Spirit to preach to the Gentiles, and they came alive to that by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit everywhere on that. And then James stands up and says, the prophets also attest to this, that God is trying to bring the entire world back to him. That's Holy Spirit through the word of God. The Holy Spirit had his hand on this entire process. And therefore, the some people who are trying to stir things up, it tells us back in the beginning of chapter 15, they fell silent. They had nothing to say. This is why this letter has, has done a great job, that they rejoice out of this. This is why this is how they have this unity. It's because the Spirit is moving in and among them to open their eyes to how important it is for diverse people to be unified by the Spirit and the mission and the love of Jesus Christ. It's not about you at all. It's not about your personal freedoms and your comfort. It's about the mission and the the gospel of Christ advancing and how we love each other as a fellowship. And so, my friends, I bring this challenge to you then to think about. All through, this, all through this series, through the book of Acts, I have been saying to us, let's shine your light. Let's get out there. Don't sit here in the pews on your blessed assurance. Get out there and, and, and get out there and, and, and preach it and, and share it with people. Share the good news so that they come alive to that and they, they hear it, even if it's just a seed that's planted, do it. But the challenge for us is that the more that we do that, The more that we reach our neighbors and reach our community, the higher the probability and the chance of this body, of this sanctuary being filled with every tribe and every nation and every age and every stage of life of people with various backgrounds and various traditions and cultures all coming in under one roof. Are we prepared to lay down some of our comforts and our preferences? in order for them to feel and receive the gospel. And I'm not talking about biblical truth. I'm not talking about Jesus being the only way to salvation. I'm not talking about the authoritative word of God and that, uh, that salvation through Christ comes through faith. Those are all bedrock Christian principles. I will never take the cross out of this sanctuary. I will never do anything like that that would sidestep scripture or the importance and the centrality of Christ. I ain't talking about that. What I am talking about is Are we okay to change some paint color? What if we need to change the color and the style of the pews? What if we need to change the way that we do something or the way that that people uh, experience it? What if we did those types of things that have nothing to do with bedrock principles but have everything to do with how we can better be missional and sending the gospel out? Are we ready to be able to do that or are we going to draw the battle lines and say, oh, that's not my church. I can't do that. Because my friends, I'm reminded of Rick Warren, again, it's not really about you, right? I want us all in here to dive deeper in faith, to come alive to Christ in multiple ways, and to keep experiencing new things in Christ because he can continue to open up our minds. But may we never get so stuck that we won't be bold and, and creative in ways to help reach people for the gospel. And I think that's the challenge here. You've got these Jewish Christians setting their ways, and they have to be rattled a little bit to be like, Jesus has created this new way. You're not under that burden anymore. It's more about people coming alive to that than these old ways that you're holding on to. It's not about us. Now, Luke provides a second story. Remember, I said there was two stories here. Luke provides us a second story, a second case study to help us understand this, and this is where I think the warning comes out of. So let's look here. So everything's going great. People are rejoicing. Fantastic. Yay. I would always say that when things are going great with people, just be careful in the Bible because usually you turn the page and it all goes to pot after that. So uh, here we are, Paul and Barnabas, two of the greatest missionaries the church has ever seen, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, you know what, let's return to visit the brothers in every city that we've been in, every city that we've proclaimed the word of the Lord, and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. That is the gospel writer, Mark. John called Mark. His first name's John. They call him Mark. There you have it, okay? Barnabas wants to take John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. So if you were to f- thumb back to Acts 12 and Paul and Barnabas' first journey, John Mark goes with them. Coincidentally, John Mark is also Barnabas' cousin. And so he goes with them on that. On, now, if, if you read that in Acts 12, you wouldn't think anything of it. You would have thought, oh, that's an interesting sentence, and you move on, right? But now we get a bigger insight to the story that he leaves that journey with them somewhere in Acts chapter 12, he leaves that journey. And Paul here is saying, I don't want him coming. And I don't know if that's because he's thinking he's too flaky, he's not mature enough, he's not ready, we're doing too important stuff, I don't want him to come. And what does Barnabas do? He digs his heels in. Look at 39, verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement. That word sharp disagreement means an, uh, an inciting argument that, that, is, that is bringing about action uh, where there might be a split. Like they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Have you ever been in an argument like this? Have you ever been in an argument with somebody else where words are being said and your filter's dropping and you're getting ready to really lay it down and you shoot your mouth off? Anyone? That's me? Yep, just come to a session meeting. No, uh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that, and you say things that you don't mean, but you really do mean them, but you would never say them through a filter, right? You, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit pulls you back and says, whoa, ho, 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 that's your sin. That's your sin talking. Let's speak through grace, right? And that's what happens between these two people. Remember last week I talked about being in a fraternity and how important unity was to us, and that's what held us together, and the motto of our fraternity was nothing shall tear us asunder, Right? Well, I, would wish, I wish to amend that. Nothing shall tear us asunder unless a girl's involved. And so <laughs> I was in one of these situations. Now, look at me. I look like Belushi, right? So it's just a miracle that a girl would want to dance with me anyways. No offense, Carrie, because Carrie loves me. Look at that face. But this is before you. This is in college. But apparently another fraternity brother had his eye, I guess, on, the, on this girl. And I didn't know it, and he's angry at me. And so we were coming back from Daytona to Jacksonville. That's about an hour and a half drive. So that's an hour and a half of brewing hostilities. And this guy's huge. I mean, muscles as big as my head. And I'm thinking, yeah. He gets off the bus. He takes the antenna off my car. And he's like, I'm ready to go. And meanwhile, I'm like, I can't back down. And So I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, You know, that kind of thing. Were we thinking about the unity of brotherhood at that point? Were we thinking about the spirit that held us together, the spirit of the fraternity? Nope. We were thinking about who's going to win, the battle lines are drawn, and let's, let's throw down. Now, luckily, I had five people standing behind me because I was a little bit more popular at that point, and so I was not alone. I'm like, I'm ready. To, that's probably why I had such muscles is because I had five other people behind me. I'm like, we're going to do it. You guys go. All right, so... Is the spirit involved here between Paul and Barnabas? I don't think so. There arose a sharp disagreement, and then they separated. They divided from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And I don't know if that's a family obligation. I don't know if Barnabas's aunt is saying, hey, which I think it's Mary, uh, the church that, that Peter goes to. Uh, back in a, a couple chapters ago. So she's a prominent woman. I don't know if she said to Barnabas, you know, take Mark, he's special, you know, to kind of help him out. I don't know what that is. And they go to Cyprus, and they do amazing things. And Paul chooses Silas, and they depart, and they've been commended by the brothers by the grace of the Lord, and they went through Syria and Cecilia, strengthening the churches. So even in their humanness, God's advancement of the gospel is still going to happen because he's God, Right? I love that. That's just a little quick, free information. Despite anything that we're ever going to do, God's going to see it done. But here, look at the two case studies. The Jerusalem Council was guided by the Spirit and the Spirit in every shape and form in putting their response together. And then the Spirit led them to, to address the conflict at that church, and everyone was encouraged and rejoiced, and it was great. And then just in a quick blink of an eye... Devoid of the Spirit, they, Paul and Barnabas, split. And what are they arguing over? Travel companions. They're not even arguing over anything that's theologically significant. So often in our churches where division occurs, it's over the insignificant things. It's over the things that aren't even mentioned in Scripture. And so here comes the warning for us all. The warning for us all is devoid of the Holy Spirit, our zealous ways can easily turn to stubbornness and pride with disastrous results, division. And when others see the division and conflict ravaging the church, then God doesn't seem all that great, does he? All that powerful, all that loving, relevant and real. And our witness, that monkey with the symbols just clanging away in the background. Oh, church, it's not about you and it's not about us. Rick Warren says, Only the Holy Spirit can create real fellowship between believers. But he cultivates it with the choices and commitments we make. It takes both God's power and our effort to produce a loving Christian community. What happened after this split? Well, God's still doing amazing things. John Mark goes on to be the gospel writer Mark. He goes on to start the Coptic church in Egypt, one of the biggest churches that is out there. Paul and Barnabas reconcile. And then Paul in his letter to the Ephesians is able to write this when it talks about unity. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's a far cry from a sharp disagreement about who's gonna get tried shotgun on the mission trip, right? It's not about you, it's not about us. It's about Jesus, his message and his gospel reaching the lost by all means necessary. Just look at how he interacted in his ministry No one would have thought any different that Jesus, the Jewish carpenter's son, would overlook tax collectors, would overlook the leper, would overlook blind and sick people, and would overlook the village of Samaria. Right? No one would have thought any different because he was Jewish, and you didn't do that as a Jewish person. But did he do that? He touches the leper. He heals the blind. He visits with the Samaritan woman and eats with the tax collectors. He goes against all of those rules and regulations and lays down his comforts and his freedoms so that people come alive to the love of the Lord, his love that saves them and releases them from the chains of sin. Won't we do the same? Won't we do the same? May we be an ecclesia, a called-out community, a fellowship that always speaks to one another with truth and love and lays down our preferences, our battle lines, if it means saving other people, because there's a greater story to be shared, and my friends, it's not about us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, again, I thank you for your, uh, your word and how your word doesn't need anyone's help to be preached how it can just sit there and challenge us, challenge us as individuals and challenge us as people, that we are no longer slaves to this world and that we are set uh, apart and set free by your love. And so being recipients of that love, Lord, empower us to be bold, courageous witnesses, to share that with others by any means necessary. And may not ever let our preferences and our agenda get in the way. For we want to share your love with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us not be enslaved to the things of this world any longer. Let us not be enslaved to the things of our past, our past lives, where we were when we were lost, because we have been found by the creator God who chases after you. And he chases after you because, one, he wants you at the table with him and his Son. And he chases after you because he wants the world to know just how crazy his love is and how immensely sovereign he is over it all. Go with that good news and share it with other people by any means necessary. Lay down the hindrances that lay in front of you, the things that make you feel uncomfortable, and go with the Holy Spirit, with the good news of Jesus Christ because that is what changes lives. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. See you later.